welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Um, so, but yeah, from California, from Sacramento, went to the Master's University over in Santa Clarita where JT also went for his bachelor's degree. Um, and yeah, I was really good friends with uh, his younger brother, Jackson, and became friends with JT through Jackson. And from there, we built a friendship and brotherhood. And, you know, he needed a pastoral intern. And here we are. So, <laughs> yeah, really excited to be out here with you guys. Um, as JT introed earlier, uh, he was telling me that you guys are in the armor of God section of Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 6. Um, so if you guys want to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 13 through 16 with a, a special focus on verse 16. The shield of faith is what we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, give you guys a second to turn there. But yeah, we're going to be talking about the shield of faith, a very important piece, if you I mean, they're all important, right? <laughs> but a very important piece of the armor of God that Paul talks about to the Ephesian believers in Ephesus. We're going to be in verse 16, so I'm going to read uh, verses 13 through 16, and then we're going to jump right in, all right, guys? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your faith, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation. Oh, that's a <laughs> went a little ahead. <laughs> We're just going to do everything tonight, guys. No, I'm just kidding. So the main point I want you guys to have in the back of your brains as we're going through this text tonight in verse 16 in particular with the shield of faith is that when hard times come, whatever it may be, whether it's temptation, struggle with sin, difficulty at home, whatever it is, when hard times come, the Lord is our shield. The Lord himself is our shield. And I wanted to give you guys a bit of a, a story from history to kind of illustrate thematically what I think Paul is getting at here. So who here has ever heard of the movie Braveheart by any chance? Ring a bell. Okay, so after the events of Braveheart with William Wallace, there was a guy, he's uh, briefly mentioned in the movie, his name's Robert the Bruce, and he was king of Scotland from the year 1306 to 1329. And, and early in his reign, uh, King Edward I of England, he invaded Scotland, as maybe you've, maybe you've seen the movie. Um, he defeated Robert the Bruce's army, and this forced Robert into hiding. And while on the run, Robert the Bruce, he took refuge in a cave, and Completely discouraged and disheartened, as one would maybe guess, the Scottish king, he laid by a fire in the cave and was ready to basically resign himself and accept the defeat and the loss of the Scottish kingdom. But then in the flickering firelight, the story goes that he noticed a spider on the cave wall spinning a web. The spider it repeatedly attempted to secure the web and it attempted over and over and it kept failing and failing, but attempted again and again and failed. And finally, Robert noticed that the spider was finally able to anchor the web, making it strong and secure. 
And it's, it, as the story goes, in the persistence of the spider, the Scottish king, he saw a metaphor of his own kingdom's struggle against the English invaders. He decided he wouldn't allow himself to be defeated by past failures. And this motivated him, and he continued the fight for Scottish freedom against, honestly, a far more formidable and equipped foe at the time. Robert left his cave, led his troops across many fields of battle, and defeated the English invaders in 1314, and he continued to persevere in faith for the next 14 years until he finally won Scottish independence in 1328. So why mention this random story from history? Uh, Because in the midst of trial and tribulation, we see in the Scottish king's story, there's a principle to grab hold of, and the grounding of that principle that I think Paul is getting at here in this text with the shield of faith For Robert the Bruce, you know, tying it back to the story, the principle was faith that persevered in the midst of English invaders, right? And and the grounding of that object of his faith and hope was, as you could guess, Scottish independence. For us as Christians, though, when we're looking at a text like this with the shield of faith, the principle is faith and all that encompasses faith and honestly the muck and the mire of this broken world that we live in, right? And... At times, life is difficult. So what's the ground then? The ground is ultimately, as we're going to see, God, his, unca- his character and his unshakable promises. The ground is the soil, and this ground gives faith its root. And when our faith is built up by God, since it's placed on God, faith alongside God himself acts as a shield against all the onslaughts of the enemy. All the onslaughts of the enemy. And thematically, this is what I hope to communicate to you guys from this text is I think this is what Paul is getting at here as we lean on the Lord and, and trust in his might from his word. So I've structured this a little bit that we're going to just have two points that we're going to be looking at today. And it's from specifically focusing in on the shield of faith in verse 16. And, and the first point is going to be the circumstances. I don't know for those of you guys maybe taking notes. Uh, the first point is going to be the circumstances. And it's going to be the first half of verse 16. And I'm just going to read that again just real quick for us, okay? In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. And that's where we're going to be focusing on in this first point. So where are we at in Paul's discourse? And why does this matter for our discussion? Well, as you guys know, we're we're in Ephesians, right? We're dealing with Ephesians with the armor of God and spiritual warfare. And we've been dealing with the beloved armor of God passages. And in this little section as part of Paul's larger letter... He outlines at the concluding sections of his letter the need for the Christian to, you know, armor up, if you will, with the armor of God. Because the devil is real, right? And his schemes and the schemes of those that he has partnered with, if you will, against the Christian, they're deadly. And we feel that. So where is this coming from? From the context of his letter. And I wanted to give you guys a little bit of the context up to this point because there's a very particular reason why Paul is giving the armor of God and even the shield of faith in particular. We know that Paul spends the first three chapters of Ephesians expounding the beauty of the gospel of grace that has saved us, right? Anyone that's read the book of Ephesians knows just how elegant, if you will, the first three chapters are, especially in chapter 1, from where we've been chosen in Christ in the eternal plan of God, after that being saved by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone, having been united with all different types of people, right? Into one body, the church from chapter two, mystery of the gospel in chapter three. And finally, when we get to chapters four through six, we've transitioned without forgetting, of course, and that's huge. We've transitioned into 
the application, if you will, of what Paul is getting at in the first three chapters, the application of the Christian life. And this is an important transition since Paul, he's grounded the Ephesian believers and those by extension, all Christians reading Paul's letter, he's grounded them in their identities in Christ in chapters one through three, right? And the salvation that all believers, Ephesians and us that are reading Ephesians today, he's grounded us in our identities in Christ. And we now come to areas that are necessary for living for the glory of God and, and for the good of others. And so finally, after Paul, he deals with he deals with various different ways to apply Christian truth to various different relationships. Maybe you've seen it in chapter 5 going into chapter 6. And so we finally get to this section, right? And what makes it important is, I'm just going to be straight with you guys, it's real simple. Life is hard. Our enemy is real. His strategies are dangerous. And lastly, we need to be reminded that we are in a constant battle throughout all of our life as believers. We are in a constant battle. And so Paul reminds the Ephesians and like I said, by extension, all believers that they are to put on the whole armor of God, the whole armor of God in order to stand really any chance against the devil and his schemes and the schemes of ever, of, of all of his um, allies, if you will. But have you guys ever wondered why explicitly it's the armor of God? Friends, the, the explanation is clear from verse 12 of our chapter. It's because we are in an unseen spiritual battle, right? We're in an unseen spiritual battle. Like, think about it. When temptation comes your guys' way, can you actually, like, physically, materially see the temptation? No. It's an unseen spiritual battle. In a physical, material battle, though, like, we would, we would put armor on. We'd put on physical armor. We'd put on a physical breastplate, physical boots, gloves, a shield. Back, <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day. You guys remember back when, like, Marvel movies used to be really good? Now they've just been, you know, they've been kind of weird. Um, you had Captain America himself, right? He was using a shield for protection or even like a weapon sometimes. Or, you know, who here played football or plays football currently? Any, anybody? Okay, awesome. When you play football, we love football. Uh, when you play football, right, you've got pads, you've got a helmet, and it's acting almost as like an armor, physical material armor that you're putting on to, you know, go to battle, if you will, against your enemy, the opponent in the game. The difference, though, right, the difference, though, is – they see their opponent. They physically see their opponent. They aren't dealing with enemies that are hidden from our eyes and wage war on our inner selves and in our consciences and our thoughts and our emotions and the fruit, the actions that come out of that. No, in this way, then the believers at Ephesus, what are they exhorted by Paul? They're, they're exhorted by Paul to put on God's spiritual unseen armor for their own protection. And think about this. God is an unseen God. And so we need unseen spiritual protection against the unseen realm that seeks to attack us. Right? And this, and this week, right, we're talking about the shield of faith. So look with me at verse 16 again, right? It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. So, so what do we notice here? There's a few contextual points uh, is necessary for us to dive into as we go into this. The in all circumstances here, it would point us to every situation that we encounter. This is part, this is part of Paul's point. It's every situation that we encounter. And it's, it's kind of similar in concept to the praying in everything exhortation that Paul gives believers in Philippians chapter 4. Praying in all circumstances. And, and here the circumstances portion, it's most, it's most clearly tied in our section in context to the, the schemes of the devil that Paul outlines earlier 
in this section. This then leads Paul to tell his readers to do what? To take up the shield, which is, this is important. It's indicating a real action on our part. We do have to do this by the power of the Spirit, right? There is a real action on our part. And friends, we're called to be active. We're not passive. And then taking hold of faith's shield and the substance of this shield that we're going to get into God and his promises. And we'll get into this more later, but I just wanted you guys to have that in the back of your brain as we're going into this. By way of further observation, we can gather that the shield here, the shield here, it's, it's dealing with a strong hedge of protection. That's kind of the imagery that Paul is trying to give here in the midst of adversity that to go back a little bit to another historical point, the visible imagery is that of like a Roman legionnaire's shield. Right. So like think about think back towards like Captain America. Remember how you had this little round shields known as like a buckler. What's the problem with that? It only go, it only would cover whatever part that's at. like if it's his upper body. Well, his legs are exposed. Well, with the Lo- Roman legionnaires and the centurions back in the first century and even before that and after that, they used to have shields that would cover their entire body. And then if they would have other legionnaires with them, they would almost be like a near impenetrable wall. So they had massive protection. And this is part of what Paul is getting at here. In the shield of faith, it's acting as a covering, if you will, for the entirety of your spiritual well-being as you endure Satan's schemes. So, but two questions need to be answered here in the part of our passage. First, what is the shield itself? Right? For those of you maybe are jotting down stuff, what is the shield itself? And second, how does faith relate to this shield that we're going to be describing from the text? So let's dive in a bit, a little bit. In the first instance, what is the shield, right? Is it, is it exclusively faith? Some would say so. What, what I would suggest to you guys tonight is that the shield in terms of its substance, in terms of its nature, what actually makes the shield a shield on the ground level is God and his promises. There is a relationship between God, who is our shield and faith, which we'll get into as well. But I think scripture would ultimately point us to the fact that God's protection and his faithfulness in our lives, that is the shield for his people. That is the shield. Where, where do we see this language, though, right? We want to we be biblical. We want to ground this in the text. This passage is amazingly tied to this whole passage of the armor of God is amazingly tied to certain texts in the Old Testament. Listen to Isaiah 59, 17 in the context of God's armor for his people. It says that Yahweh, he put, on a, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments or vestments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So it's easy to recognize, right, where the spirit obviously inspired Paul to think of this godly armor for believers from, namely, God himself. Right? So, but what about the shield? What can we gather from the Old Testament? Believe it or not, guys, is that God is, he's frequently characterized and described as a shield to his people. Think about this back in Genesis 15. Who here knows what the Abrahamic covenant is? You guys ever heard about it? In Genesis 15, before God, uh, before God goes further into his covenant with Abram, God tells Abram, fear not, Abram, who becomes Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. In addition, David and some of the other psalm writers, they refer to the Lord as a shield. Listen to me a couple different passages. 
Psalm 3, 3 says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. Psalm 84, 11, the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. And listen up to this, guys. Psalm 119, verse 114, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. From these various texts, and believe me, there's, there's lots of others as well, we can see that God, he's continuously described and, and displayed to his people as a shield. And, and, and the point of the connotation here is he, he's the protector of his people, ultimately. I mean, how, how necessary is that? We don't have the ability to protect ourselves against something we can't see, right? But God, the unseen God, he is the protector of his people. Interestingly enough, that last one, Psalm 119, 114, that will be a text that we'll be seeing as to how, that we're going to be using to see how the shield and the faith, they relate to one another. That's how they relate to one another. But first, why does it matter? And I really, really want you guys to listen in on this. Why does it matter that God in substance is your shield as opposed to exclusively faith itself? It's quite simple, really. Friends, um, our faith by itself is not strong enough to withstand the schemes of Satan and the hardships of life. You know, if you've been on this earth for any length of time, <laughs> you feel that. You feel that. Our, our faith just is not able to stand by itself apart from anything, right? We, we like to think we're actually stronger than we are, right? We like, to, we like to think that we can do things by our own willpower and, and fortitude. We like to think that somehow, some way, our, our faith, our strength, our will, our drive, it's our fortitude, it's, it's enough to get us through. We like to think that, right? I know I like to think that. I like to pull myself up by the bootstraps and like to tell myself all these, you know, nice things, but I'm weak. I am. But we know ultimately that's not true that we're able to stand on our own faith per se. Proof of that is found in your life today, guys. Think about the last week, the last year, maybe the last month. Consider your own sin, your own weaknesses, your own failures. The existence of those very things, guys, listen to me on this. The existence of those very things shows that we need someone outside of ourselves who is stronger, mightier, and has it all together. That's proof in the pudding right there, guys. This is why being our shield, or excuse me, God being our shield is so helpful. Because why? God is unchanging. He is steadfast. He's immovable. He is unshakable, both in who he is and the promises that he's made us. Think of the, God's own revelation to Moses in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, where he says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. Keeping steadfast love for thousands. Think about that. It's God who is keeping steadfast love for his people. Guys, it has always been the shield of God's faithfulness that has kept his people going in dark times through the ages. Just take a brief look at church history. Think of John 10, 28. Concerning believers, Jesus says this, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Have you guys ever thought about that you yourself actually fit into the category of no one? That you yourself can't actually snatch, you can't snatch yourself out of Christ's hand? His grip, Jesus' grip on you is far stronger than your own grip on him? 
God is our shield, friends. With this in mind, let us consider how faith relates to our shield in our own personal lives. And this is why I mentioned Psalm 119, 114. It's kind of going to be a little bit of a model text for us here. We see the psalmist, he notes that God is his hiding place and his shield. But then he moves on to how he responds to that. If you guys remember, he says, and I hope in your word. This grammatically is seen as something that, check this out. The, psalm is do, the psalmist is doing in response to God being his shield. Do you, are you guys seeing that connection here? So he's saying, God is my shield. So my response then is I hope in your word. He has the certainty of God as his hiding place and shield. And his response then is hope. He has hope. It's an action that he's doing. And friends, this is important for us to remember because there's two, there's two things here that are relevant for our, us in life with faith as a shield from this idea. Hope here in the Hebrew is carrying the idea of hope and waiting, but actually it's also carrying the idea of trusting. And this would be synonymous with faith, whereas in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the author of Hebrews states, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So why does this matter? Why should we care about this connection? Well, because of the second relevant category from Psalm 119, 114, and that the psalmist hopes in what? God's word. He hopes in the word of the Lord. Friends, God's word as the whole of Psalm 119, as Psalm 19 and other plenty of other passages, you think of 2 Timothy 3.16, Hebrews 4.12, it outlines that God's word is authoritative, unchanging, eternal, and sufficient as an extension of God himself. Do you catch that? Since scripture is breathed out by God. So in other words, to hope in God's word is actually to also hope in God. Are you seeing that connection? To hope in God's word is also to actually hope in God himself. So as a result, guys, you need to consider this. If God is your shield and therefore you hope in him by hoping in his word, then our shield of faith ultimately is built upon resting in the character of God through his word and the certainty, not a guess, the certainty of his promises. Do you guys see that connection? Our faith is built up by the word of God as it reveals more and more of who God is and, and what he's done for us. I mean, think about the gospel, guys. Filthy wretches who deserve nothing but judgment, and yet God in his great love for weary sinners condescends and he saves us. I mean, there's nothing more comforting than that. And in this way, the shield of our faith, it's strengthened and we stand ready for what this broken world, our own sinful flesh, Satan's schemes, what they throw at us. And ultimately, we are to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. This is, this is Paul's point in verse 10 of chapter 6, if you guys have Bibles and you want to check it out. The, the, the strength is not in our own selves. We're not supposed to stand on our own selves. We're standing on God and his might. And, and we're also on the defensive. Why? Because not us. Christ has achieved the victory. He's already achieved the victory and we're strengthened by that. That's why all the way back in chapter 1, verse 19, Paul would say that we're strengthened according to the working of his great might. You see that connection there. But our enemy is real, as we've talked about. His schemes are dangerous and, and our flesh is weak. So we need to consider in, the, in our final point from this text, the act of extinguishing the darts, as Paul says, the arrows, the flaming arrows themselves with the shield of our faith. And for those that are maybe jotting down stuff, this brings us to our second and final point, 
the extinguishing on the second half of verse 16. The extinguishing. I'm going to read verse 16 again because it's good to just have this in the back of our brain. Paul says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And so, let's expand on this section. In the second half of the verse, we notice that the language, once again, what do you notice there? Extinguish. It's, it's once again of activity instead of passivity. Right? Paul's, you can, if you will, it's showing action on our part to take up the shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith. We can't just sit back and kick our feet up and, you know, let go, let God. Guys, we, we must actively use the shield of faith that God has granted to us. This is further seen in the correspondence between the phrases and the text that you guys see there, take up and extinguish. It's showing more instances of what? Our active usage of God's gifts. Our active uses. So friends, make use of God's word, which is being built up, or which builds up our faith. The word extinguish here in the original text, it's, it's containing the idea of quenching something. Almost like when you guys grab, if you were to grab a fiery torch and you were to toss it in a bucket of water and then it's just, the flame dissipates. That's the idea that Paul's communicating here. What, what are we quenching though? Right? What does it say? The fiery darts of the evil one, which in this case, if we're relating back earlier into our section, it's the devil's schemes. Most particularly, we're dealing with doing battle against sin, temptation, and in our rebellious flesh. And this harkens back to chapter 5. If you guys go back to chapter 5 and you look at verses 9 through 11, Paul's telling the readers to do what? They're, they're walking as children of light and to take no heart in the works of darkness. So it's almost like he's kind of, he's kind of sandwiching that section and then you've got the stuff with, with husbands and wives and children and parents and bond servants. And then he, you know, brackets that again with going back to how do we deal with the works of darkness? The description here is interesting by Paul, as, as one commentator put it, Satan's temptations, they're, they're like darts that are sudden and thick and fast and numerous. And, and they're fiery as well because they do what? They inflame the mind and they excite us to sin. And if they're not repelled, they have damaging and detrimental effects. They have damaging effects, friends. So the question for us then is why, why must we extinguish Satan's arrows or darts and how do we do so? Right? And the first one, and the first one, it's not necessarily complicated again, friends. So please hear me on this. I know, I know none of you students here really know me yet. And I'm looking forward to getting to know you guys, and that's okay. But you know, and maybe you're experiencing it now, but I'll, I'll, I promise you this, as, as you get older, life gets more difficult. It does. It gets more joyful to be sure, but it also gets more difficult. It gets more difficult. People will leave you. They'll betray you. They'll hurt you. They'll neglect you. You'll get lonely. You'll get tired. You'll get frustrated. You'll get discontent. And as a result of all that, all that swirling emotion, all that pain, you will, be, <laughs> you will be tempted beyond belief, friends. You will be tempted to throw in the towel. You'll be tempted to act out in anger. You'll be tempted to be selfish. You'll be tempted to look at or watch things on your phone that you know you shouldn't. You'll be tempted to give in a certain temptation to maybe gossip behind somebody's back. There is just a load of things that Satan will then use because of what you're experiencing to then throw at you. And if, and if you're not a believer in this room, room, ha <laughs> ha, not a room. If you're not a believer out here, <laughs> then 
I mean, I hate to break it to you. You will give in to that temptation. It's, it's a guarantee. You will fall. Why? The Bible is abundantly clear that outside of Christ, you are enslaved to your own sin. Sin that makes you worthy of God's eternal judgment. But that's not all Jesus says. He says in John eight twenty four further, that unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. But, and I really, really lock in on this for a second. Jesus also says something even more amazing. He says in John 6, 37, that all that the Father has given to me will come to me, and anyone who comes to me I will never cast out. I will never cast out. Jesus will never turn away the one that comes to him and puts their faith in him, repents of their sin, and trusts in Christ. Christ, the only shield against the wrath of God against your sin. Like, do you, do you really catch the weight of that? Christ is your only shield. And this is the reality for those of us who are Christians about the shield of faith, that then God is your shield and your faith, it's, it's ultimately built up as you gaze and, and you gaze and you gaze upon the beauty of him in his word and you cling to his promises. Only then, friends, is your faith really steadfast and which then leads us to our closing and how we do this as believers there's two main takeaways that i want us to briefly consider for the sake of time how to by faith make use of this shield of god in our lives and that is number one meditating on and indwelling of the truth of god's character and promises and number two life in the church in the first sense, we must meditate on the truth of God's character. When, when we are onslaught by temptation and difficulty, which is sure to come, guys. Maybe you had it on the way here. Maybe it'll be later tonight. Maybe it'll be this weekend. I'm not sure. But it will come. It's important for us to remember that God is, is for us and not against us from Romans 8.31. That he forgives our iniquities, heals our infirmities, redeems our lives from Psalm 103. That he bestows on us no condemnation if our faith is in Christ, Romans 8.1. And that peace with him, no matter what we struggle with, we have peace with him from Romans 5, uh, verse 1, because of Christ's victory given to us. I mean, how, how mind-boggling is that? That we actually have peace with God. When our hearts say, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief, God's promises remind us not that, not that we're strong enough and we'll gird ourselves up. They remind us that he is the one that holds us fast. When we're drowning, he's the one that actually has a tight grip on us. That's what God's word and his promises to us remind us. And second, we are built up by our involvement in the local body of believers part of what you guys are doing here tonight. Close relationships and fellowship with other Christians is actually, believe it or not, guys, like we're not just here on just some little powwow on a Wednesday night. This is actually something that God uses to edify and like build you up into the image of who Jesus is. Like, have you really thought about the mysteriousness of that? That God actually uses what you're doing here and he uses what you do on a Sunday morning when you're worshiping with other believers to actually make you more like Christ. Consider a passage like 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. And I promise we'll be done here in a couple minutes, guys. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we can comfort others with the same comfort 
that we ourselves have been comforted by God. Think about that. God comforts us in our affliction in order that we can comfort other people. Like it's not like it's not like God comforts you guys when you're struggling with sin or comforts you when you're dealing with difficulty or comforts you in your temptation so that you can just keep it to yourself in some little corner of your room and not share it with anybody. No, God actually comforts you through other people and, and through his words so that you can comfort other people. It's this cycle of edification. And God uses that to build you up. He uses the church as a faith-building and assurance-grounding fortress. So please, make it a point to never miss church, whether it's Sunday or, or, or otherwise, because there will come times in your life, guys. If you want to know how I know this personally, just come talk to me. There will come times in your life that the strengthening of your faith as a shield depends on your involvement with other believers. There's sometimes that because you're weak, your faith is hanging on by a thread and it's only the encouragement of other Christians that are actually the Lord is using to sustain it. And I'm going to close with this, this helpful illustration from a pastor named Charles Spurgeon on how God as himself builds up our faith and it makes us ready for whatever he's called you to. He says this, suppose Satan's arrow is aimed at the believer's feet and the enemy attempts to make him trip in his daily life endeavors to mislead him in the uprightness of his walk and conversation faith it protects his feet and he stands securely in slippery places neither does his foot slip nor can the enemy triumph for him or suppose the arrow maybe hits him in the knee and satan tries to make him weak in prayer and tells him you know what god will ignore your cry and he will never listen to the voice of your prayers then faith protects him and the power of faith with confidence that he has access to God through Christ and draws near to the Lord's throne of uh, uh, Lord's throne of grace and his mercy seat or let the arrow be aimed at his conscience and let it be weaned with the remembrance of some recent sin that we had yet faith what does it do it protects our conscience for its full assurance of atonement through Christ that quenches the fiery darts with with the reminder of who Christ is so there's no part of a man which is not secure that he has made God his re- he that has made God his refuge shall find in him a most secure abode. This is the heart of the shield of faith guys. God is our shield and we trust in him by faith through the promises of his word and when we do so by the spirit's empowerment we can say every day along with the apostle Paul in Galatians 2:20 that it is by that I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me and the life that I now live I live by my own performance no I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me amen, amen. all right let's pray heavenly father lord we just come before you with just humble gratitude, Lord. We are so thankful for the grace of your word that we would actually have the ability to read your word and be encouraged and be built up, be convicted by your word, but also assured of the fact that if we are in Christ, we have all that we need, but also that apart from you, we can do nothing. So Lord, remind us that that you are the shield of our faith and that the more and more we cling to you, the more our faith is built up. May we never lose sight of that fact as we go about our weeks, as we go about our days, and may we continue to seek to glorify you in all that we do. All this we pray, Father, in the name of Christ. Amen.